Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I'm sure many of you have asked yourselves the question over the years, why has my journey and following Jesus been one of intrepid, uh, intrepid journeys of roller coasters, ups and downs. It's not very often that you meet somebody that has just consistently been ploughing a furrow all the days of their lives. Because the devil loves to meddle. How many of you know that? The devil loves to meddle. He loves to put a, a few sidewinders in front of us. He loves to take us off the straight and narrow path. He loves to put us on the broad and wide road that Jesus said leads to destruction. There's a lot of people on it. And so today, um, you know, I, I, I asked myself the question, Lord, there seems to be so many twists and turns. Like a roller coaster, the ups and the downs. Sometimes my behaviour, Lord, when I get it, it's like getting off that roller coaster, you feel like vomiting. Because you think sometimes, well, I thought I got past that, but maybe I haven't. And sometimes we negatively surprise ourselves with the response that comes out of our heart. Amen. Jeremiah said this, the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know what's really in their own heart? Well, wow, that's a word right there. If we really are honest with what's what happens, the murmurings of our heart at times. And yet Christ modelled for us in such a way that there is a consistency. There is a pathway that we can walk where despite the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, the highlights and the lowlights, that we can maintain and sustain a fire of God within our lives that can carry us through all the days of our lives. You might have met some of those great saints. You might have seen them modeled in front of your life where they have consistently always been there. They have been faithful. They've been oaks, like oaks of righteousness, the Bible says. In New Zealand terminology, we would say they're like Tani Mahuta, the great Kauri tree. They're, they're firm, they're consistent, their roots go deep. They're able, they seem to be able to sustain every storm and they still have the glimmer and the light of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within their hearts. And I want to share with you today, after nearly 30 years of pastoring, a common consistent thing, and it's not just based on my opinion, this is I'm going to take you to the Scriptures and show you what Jesus said on how we can consistently maintain that fire of God within our hearts, where we don't have to allow the devil to snuff it out, to blow it out, but in fact we can fan into flame to even greater degrees the fire for God, the passion from God in our lives and out into the community. And last week I shared a word with you regarding, have you heard the call of God? The call from above. The call from below, the call from within. Paul said, I'm compelled to share this good news. And the call from without, the Macedonian call, Paul, come over here. 
Come over here into Europe, into Macedonia. Come over here and help us. We need your help. The supernatural vision of God. Responding to the call of God. Well, you know, to respond to the call of God, first of all, your heart has to be positioned to hear. What does the Bible say so many times over? He that has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I pray today that your spiritual ears will be wide open as we open the Word of God. You know, um, an amazing thing's happened, and I often look at parallels in the natural world and in the news. And in this last week, we've seen a young man by the name of Brendan Hartley. Young blonde boy who's been uh, driving go-karts ever since he was about four years old. And uh, he's graduated from a go-kart to a Formula One racing car. And uh, for those of you that understand anything about motor racing, uh, motor racing, the pinnacle, the height of where you can go in motor racing is Formula One, where the cars do up to speeds of 375 kilometers per hour on tracks that aren't straight, but twists and turns. And this young man has found himself being invited onto a Formula One racing uh, team this last week. How did he get there? That's the question I want you to know. How can he get to the pinnacle of his uh, area of expertise? The reason why he's got there, friends, is because at every level, he's been able to maintain a consistency and sustain that consistency until he gets the invitation to go to another level. And amen to that this morning. And I'm saying to you today that the fire of God, that God wants us to be able to sustain it, to get onto a path where we're, we're, we're no longer here, but we're here, and we don't have to keep going back down to here just because of the twists and the turns in the road, but we can sustain and maintain a level of consistency like Brendan Hartley has that has now caused him to be racing in those uh, scary cars. I've done up to 200 kilometres per hour on two wheels. like to go faster next time. Uh, not on the open roads, of course, with sirens following me, but on the Pukekohe racetrack on my bike. And there's an incredible thrill of speed. But it's also very dangerous to be able to go at such a fast speed. It only takes one minor mistake to be able to take you off track. And this morning, I want, to, I want to show you through the Word of God how Jesus Christ can come in such a way in your life today that you are always able to maintain and create a consistent path in your walk with God where God can continue to utilize what He's called you to do year after year, decade after decade, in for the long haul. Not, the, not what we get this time of the year with the skyrockets going up in a blaze of glory and it looks fantastic, but then they come down to earth as a bunch of ashes. One time only use. But for God to consistently be able to use you all through the days of your life. Amen? It's one thing to get a touch from God. It's another thing to maintain that touch that Jesus gives to us. So let's look into the scripture today. You know, Jesus had a nickname by the people that saw him operate. This was his nickname. Oh, he's the friend of sinners. Now, that wasn't a common nickname for a rabbi, a religious person, because the religious elite of Jesus' day often kept to themselves. 
They had incredible recall of the Bible. They were religious in every aspect of their life, their eating, the clothes that they wore, the regulations and ceremonies that they kept. They were fastidious in every single way possible. And yet this rabbi called Jesus Christ was often found in the company of people who were considered to be the lower echelon of society, the dropouts, the down and outs, those that were often labelled as sinners. And he found himself continually be drawn to this echelon of society where nobody else would touch them. There was a reason for that. What took Jesus to these places and to these people? We know it was God's love. We know it was the Father's heart that took him to these places and released the power of God. But I want to show you two verses in the Gospel of John that give us the key to the ability of Jesus to be able to sustain what he did consistently, month in, month out, year in, year out. John 17, verse 25 and 26 Listen to these words. Jesus is speaking. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus said there's a basic problem that underlines and undermines the world that we live in. And he he said, here's the core root of the problem. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. Jesus came to reveal the Father. The Bible shows us that Jesus said, I don't do anything except the Father shows me. So wherever he turned up, Daddy, Abba Father, had been speaking to him and revealing to him and showing him his very next move. So that Jesus never ever turned up anywhere wondering if this was the will of God for his life. He was guided and led every step through his relationship with his Father. And he states clearly in red and white today, the words of Jesus in red in your Bible, most of you, This morning, he says this. He says, the core problem of the world today is that we live in a fatherless society where there is a breakdown between children and their fathers and there's a breakdown between people not knowing and meeting Father God and that once they meet Father God, then there's this amazing thing that happens. The love with which he showed Jesus will then be in the hearts of of the disciples. And I'm going to take you just into a minute into a very, very well known story, probably the most well known parable and teaching of Jesus Christ on the parable of the prodigal son. And this morning we're going to discover, as we understand who Jesus was speaking to that day, that he further amplifies this, these two verses and begins to release to the world the ability for people to get access to Father God and to no longer live and dwell in a fatherless world, but where they can connect up to the Father of all creation 
and begin to live their life in such a way, the way that Jesus Christ did. Are you with me this morning, church? He showed us how to connect to the love of the Father. You know, when Jesus came to teaching his disciples how to pray, they saw him disappear early in the morning. They saw him praying consistently. And they felt so, they felt so poor in, in the place of prayer. So they said, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And he says, sure, pray in this manner. Our Father who is in heaven. Now this was revolutionary because they only knew God as Jehovah under the Old Testament. They never knew God as Father. And so the Son came to reveal the Father and He said, here's the key to prayer, that you'll understand who Father is, that you'll enter into a dialogue with Abba, Daddy, that you'll begin to understand that you are a child, a son and a daughter of the Most High God, your Father in heaven, and that you can enter into this daily relationship. We know it's daily because He said, pray in this manner, give us this day our daily bread. That it was a constant relationship that He was calling them to, but it was a relationship with your heavenly Dad, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed, holy, holy is your name. Your kingdom, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. And some of us can relate to the Son, but some of you here this morning have great trouble praying our Father. You can pray, dear Lord, but you find it very hard to pray, Father God. Because of the mess up and the bad model that you may have received growing up, you find it difficult to enter into relationship with Father. No problem with the Son, with Jesus. You can pray to Jesus, but you find it difficult to address your Heavenly Father. So let's go to the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read parts of it. But let's have a look. Who was in the audience that day? Because did you know that the key to understanding why Jesus said things was to understand who he was talking to? Because he always addressed a person because that person needed to receive a message. So who was in the audience that day that he gave these great parables? First one of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners. There's one group. They drew near... What did they, why did they draw near? To hear Him. They loved to hear what Jesus had to say. They didn't feel this barrier that so many in the world today feel. They feel that if they were to darken the doorway of a church, that there'd be nobody to talk to them, to, them, to embrace them, because they've got a wrong concept of what the church and the family of God is all about. The tax collectors and the sinners, the first group, the second group, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, remember, the Pharisees and the scribes were very set apart people. That's what the word holy means. So they would never, ever degrade themselves and eat with a down and outer. They would never go and they would never go and ever go and eat with a Gentile person. But they also wouldn't go and eat, even if they were a Jew, with a notorious person like a tax collector. 
And a tax collector, friends, was hated. He was hated by the Jewish people because he was a Jew who was collecting money on behalf of the Roman Empire and then extorting his own people by adding another 10 or 20% on top and pocketing that 10 or 20% into his own bank account. Tax collectors were despised. What about sinners? Who were the sinners? Well, they were people who didn't follow the laws of God. They didn't go to the temple. They didn't go and pray. They were often people who publicly flouted their sinful lifestyle. They were pimps and prostitutes. They were liars. They were the dregs of the society. And these are the people that the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of spending time with them. Jesus, don't you understand what type of people these are? These are the worst type of people in society. And yet you're, you love to hang around with them. That's the nickname, friend of sinners. The scribes and the Pharisees were considered in their day as the best of society. They were the learned ones in Scripture. And listen, they lived a disciplined lifestyle. They fasted often. They went to the temple every day to pray. They, they were what we call set-apart holy people. We often bag them for, for who, who they are in the Gospels, but you've got to give it to them. These guys were dedicated. And these guys lived their lives in such a way they were trying to please God. They were doing it in their own strength, but they were doing the best that they knew how. And you know, the amazing thing is, is that they were threatened by the Roman Empire. They hated the Roman Empire because they come and invaded their place. They, the Romans allowed the Jews to meet at the temple as long as there was never any other king being mentioned. So when Jesus turned up and the people started calling him a king, they were saying, you're a blasphemous man. And so they had no time for Jesus either. So here's the audience. On one hand, tax collectors and sinners. And the Bible says they were there because they wanted to hear. I hope you're at church today because you want to hear what God wants to say to you. They wanted to hear. They had a hunger for the words of God. And then over here we have the Pharisees and the scribes. And so what sparked the story that Jesus is about to tell? The murmuring and the complaining of the Pharisees who said, if he really knew what type of people these sinners are, he wouldn't be mixing with them. So Jesus says, okay, I need to straighten you out. And the only time in Scripture where Jesus told three stories, one after the other, to make a point. Now today I'm going to share something with you that maybe some of you have heard, maybe some of you haven't heard, but I've never preached it ever in my life before. And this is the word that God gave me when I was in Australia to bring to the conference in Australia. And I tell you what, the Holy Spirit really moved powerfully on that word. And this is what I want to share with you today. So Jesus tells the first story. Something was lost that needed to be found. A shepherd lost his sheep. He put the other 99 in good care and then he went out on an all-out search. The shepherd himself went to search for the sheep. When he came back, he had a great party because he found the lost sheep. He brought all of his friends around and they had a celebration. He threw a party. The second story was very much the same. Something was lost. A woman lost her precious coin 
And so she swept the whole house clean until she found that coin. And when she found it, she called all of her friends together. They had a party because that which was lost was now found. And then he tells a third story. But in the third story, it's a little bit different. It wasn't something that was lost. It was someone. It was a person, a human being that had lost his way. And as we read the story today, I want you to take particular notice of how Jesus tells the story. Verse 11, then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. In other words, he asked. He asked, but nobody gave him anything. He was that hungry, he wanted to eat pig food. Verse 20. Uh, sorry, verse uh, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he's preparing his homecoming speech. He's thinking about what he's going to say to his dad when he gets back home. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. And he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. So he's now sharing the rehearsed speech. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, he's not even listening to him. Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to be merry. Now, this is where the rest of the story stopped. But the story here doesn't stop. It carries on. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and he wouldn't go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Look, me, all these years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son, he can't even say his brother's name. Can't even say his brother's name. As soon as this son, it's actually my brother. As soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. 
And the father responded to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead, and now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. So let's just review this briefly. First of all, the son does something that is just horrendous in any society. It would be the equivalent of my boys coming home, one of my boys coming home to me and saying, Dad, I want your share of the house. I want my share of your house. I want you to sell the house and give me my share of the inheritance right now. He was treating his father as good as dead, even though his dad was alive. The second thing is that the Bible says that he wasted all his father's hard-earned money. His father had been working all of his life in order to provide for his children. And this son just wastes it on prostitutes and riotous living. Lots of friends while he had money. Partying up, wasting away his father's hard-earned money. And then the money ran out and the country he was in had a severe famine. So he had no friends and he had no money to the extent that he's now eyeing up the food of the pigs and he's asked somebody if he can actually eat the food of the pigs. Now you need to understand that when Jesus talks about a story with pigs, how many of you know that Jews to pigs, uh, pork is not kosher? And so Anyone listening to this story that's a Jew is horrified that this guy is even in a pen with pigs, let alone desiring to eat the food of the pigs that's been fed towards him. So this is ringing alarm bells everywhere in this story. So one day he has a revelation. When he gets to rock bottom, the revelation is, I can go back home and I know I've blown it as a son, but maybe my dad will take me on as a servant. And he begins to rehearse his speech of what he's going to say to his dad as he comes home. But when he came near, he didn't plan for this response from his father. And of course, we know this is representing our heavenly father in the story. So what does the father do? Does he he wait until he finally gets there and he's steaming with anger? He's sitting on the porch. He doesn't get off his chair. He's saying to himself, I'm going to wait till this boy comes and then I'm going to strip him down. I'm going to give him what for. He's wasted all of my, he's wasted all of my hard-earned funds. He's, he's lost the plot. He's gone as far as he can away from the family so we can't see what he's up to. And now he expects to come home and for me to give him something. That would be the response of some of the dads in the world today, I'm sure. That would be deemed as a righteous response. He doesn't even get his full confession out because his father has run to him. He's embraced him and he won't even listen to the rest of his confession. He says, nah, son, we're going home and we're going to have a party because you messed up, but you were lost, but now you're found. And we're going to celebrate with the whole household because you've come home and you're now under the roof. I'm not going to treat you as one of the slaves. You're still my son. You've messed up, but you've come home and I'm so glad that you're alive. I'm so glad that you're here today under the roof and we're going to celebrate with the whole family. Well, almost the whole family. 
Because unlike the first two stories, there was an older brother. Now Jesus was making a point towards the audience, and I want you to get a hold of this today. You see, in the first two stories, in the story of the shepherd, who went out to search for the lost sheep? In the second story, who went out to search for the lost coin? The woman. Who went out to search for the lost son? No one. So not only are we different in the story with an older brother, but in the story, a son, not just a thing, a person has lost his way, but nobody is going to look for him. The father's not going to look for him. The older brother's not going to look for him. He's just disappeared and nobody is out searching for the lost son. And it it exasperates you even more when you understand in the Old Testament, it's the responsibility of the older brother, should anything happen to the younger siblings, to actually take responsibility for his whereabouts and to go and find him. For example... Joseph, when all the brothers ganged up on him and they were actually going to kill him, who stepped in? The older brother, Reuben, steps in. And yet in this story, we see that this precious boy has lost his way. But unlike the first two stories, nobody is going to look for him. Now, this is what Jesus was saying. You Pharisees, you murmur and you complain about the company that I'm, I'm keeping because I'm being like, Jesus was saying this, I'm being like the true older brother. I'm going out to look for my lost younger brothers, the tax collectors and the sinners. But you, you're like the older brother. You're immobile. You're self-righteous. You're, you, you have anger that is unwarranted and you can't move because you're paralysed. You're living right in the house of your father, but spiritually you're completely disconnected to the heart of your father. You see, friends, the older brother represented the Pharisees and the scribes and the younger The younger brother was represented by the tax collectors and the sinners. Wow. This is what I want to share with you this morning. I think what Jesus was expecting, the people were expecting Jesus to say that day, had it been according to the ways of Jewish culture, that when the younger son left, and as the father mourned on his front porch about his wayward son, that the older brother would have come near to his dad, and he would have felt the agony and the anguish of his father's heart. That his son, his precious younger son, had lost the plot and disappeared. But that wasn't how the story went. 
Nobody went searching for the lost son. Can you imagine if he had been, if he had been a son, the older brother had been a son that had truly connected with the heart of his father, then he would have been praying with him. He would have been getting together with his dad. He would have been wrapping his arm around his dad. Don't you worry, dad, he's going to come home soon. And had he not come home soon, he would have said, right, dad, I'm packing up my backpack and I'm going to do whatever it takes, no matter how long I'm away. I'm going to put provisions in this pack for the next few months and I'm going to go in on all out search and I'm going to find my younger brother. Dad, I'm going to bring him home. But that's not how the story went, friends. Because the older brother did not have a spiritual connection with his own dad. You know what I've noticed, friends? I've noticed this. The model that we've been raised with in terms of fatherhood or lack of father figures in our life has such an incredible bearing on the way we relate to Abba, Father God, that for some of us, it's almost an impossibility for us to be able to connect with a loving Heavenly Father because our picture and our natural life has so distorted the image of our lives that we can't get to grips with praying that prayer, our Father. The word Father doesn't conjure up warm feelings for us but it conjures up difficult images of our upgrowing. And as a result, we find it difficult to connect with Father God. How that scene should have gone is that maybe he saw his younger brother as he went on a search for him, as he went out carrying the Father's heart. It's the Father's heart that's going to take you and I into the harvest fields of this world. It's the Father's heart that's going to hear the call from above, below, from within and from without that I talked about last week. It's that Father's heart that's going to cause us to become mobile, to become mixing with the people that Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners with because we have caught Father God's heart for His lost children. And if that heart isn't beating in you and I today, if that heart isn't looking for opportunities to reach out, you see, if we carry the Father's heart, it will take us to the pig pens of this world. It will take us to those places where the lost sons are dwelling, where we can actually get on Father's agenda. And it will take us out of the comfort of our churchianity, of our religious lifestyle. You see, the, son, the older brother revealed something. He said... I've been serving you all these years. Do you know what the original Greek serving means? It means I've been a slave to you. He didn't have a son mentality. He had a slave mentality. He couldn't connect to his father because he was living in legalism. He was living in what he thought he should do, not what he could do. And he never connected with his dad over his brother. He couldn't even say his name. He was so hostile and so jealous towards his younger brother. It's like a lot of Christians, when the young ones get saved, they come into the house of God. And before you know it, they're singing. They're up front. They're doing things. And you're sitting there and you're saying, I've been in this church all these years and I've never had that opportunity. Or you see them going out and reaching their friends for Jesus. And your mouth is paralysed. You can't seem to share the gospel with anybody and you look down with disdain on them. 
because you think I've been serving God all these years. You become like the older son. So as we come in for a landing today, let's understand this. This older son, he had proximity to his father, but he had no intimacy with his father. He operated like an orphan, doing chores around the orphanage, but he had no connection to the father's heart. He didn't feel what his father felt. He didn't connect with his family, his own brother that was in need. He didn't have a son mentality. He had a slave mentality this morning. And Jesus made a connection to this orphan spirit where he said in John 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Can I just say this this morning? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we, you and me, might become the righteousness of God and Christ Jesus. Listen, friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he was solving a worldwide core issue of a fatherless society. Remember the core problem? The world has not known you, Father. So what did Jesus do? He came through the cross to make a way for an orphaned world to begin to be connected to their heavenly Father. Can I put it to you like this? He who never knew what it was like to be an orphan became an orphan for you on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. The cross of Jesus Christ has now made a way for the older brothers, for the self-righteous, to no longer be orphans, but to become connected to God and connected to their Heavenly Father in such a way that you have a real relationship with your Heavenly Dad. You can feel what He's feeling. You know what He's thinking. And you can act on His behalf because you're carrying the family business in your heart. Can I hear an amen this morning? I will not leave you as orphans. When we carry an orphan spirit, we're carrying an empty, broken heart. We're carrying hearts that are starved of true affection. We're like families that have been broken and battered because of the lack of a father's love. Now, I know for some of you here this morning, because I know just by percentages and by the fact that nearly one in every two families in New Zealand right now have been raised without dads, that many of you will be relating this story to your own dads. And this is where the good news comes in this morning, friends. Is that I want to say this to you today. You can overcome, no matter how distorted the images that you were raised with and the modelling that you had with your own father or a lack of your father, your life can be turned around to capture the father heart of God. That's what Jesus did at the cross. And that's what he was saying to these guys as he talked to them that day. He was saying the story can be different, that you can capture the Father's heart. And I want to tell you something. I want to put on a family feast for you. And I want to show you how much that I love you as your dad. And I want to declare my heart towards you as your children. Thank you, Father. So I'd like to finish this 
sermon this morning by giving us an opportunity to respond. So could I just ask us all just to stand to our feet for a moment. This morning, I believe, there's a number of us here. I've shared my testimony and I'm not going to share it again this morning. But needless to say how God restored my relationship as a son with my father. And some of the reason why our relationship is distorted to Father God is because we've said in our hearts, I'm cutting him out of my life. He's abused me. He's done wrong in my family. And I never want to be connected to him again. And this morning, I want to challenge you all here today to say that there is forgiveness in your heart that can be released towards your earthly fathers. Because God wants to remove the blockage so that you can connect with your heavenly father today. The older brother wouldn't forgive. He wouldn't humble himself. And as a result, he was separated from his family when it should have been a time of rejoicing. He couldn't rejoice because of the unforgiveness that was in his heart. This morning, I believe as we finish in a time of prayer, you may be saying to yourself, well, I tell you what, these strongholds aren't going to disappear with a prayer, Pastor James, today. Can I encourage you? like a sandcastle that's been built on the seashore, that as the waves come up the sand, you can find those sandcastles, those strongholds in your mind and in your spirit. You can see them washed away by the power of God's love this morning. Could we close our eyes just for a moment? Today, the love of God is here to bring the power of forgiveness towards earthly fathers here this morning. God doesn't want you to operate as a slave. He wants you to operate as a son and as a daughter of the Most High God. He wants to break that orphan spirit off your life this morning so that you can receive something new and fresh and connect to your Heavenly Father. I'd just like to begin to pray on your behalf this morning. And as I pray, where it's appropriate in your own life, can you connect to my prayer this morning and release forgiveness out of your life? I forgive you, Dad, for always being so busy. You never seem to be there for me. I forgive you, Dad, that it seemed like you loved me when I was winning. But when I wasn't winning, you didn't seem to have time for me. I forgive you, Dad, that your love for me seemed to be conditional on my performance. Whether I got those A's in my school report, whether I was behaving myself, otherwise it seems that you didn't really want to know me this morning. I forgive you, Dad, for leaving our family, for leaving our mum, for being an absentee father. You were never there when we really needed you. I forgive you, Dad, because it seemed like you loved my brother or my sister more than you loved me. You always seem to have time for them, but you never seemed 
to have time for me. I forgive you, Dad, for the one person in my life that should have been taking care of me. You never took care of me. You just seem to be consumed with your own world. I forgive you for that this morning. I forgive you, Dad, because you never seem to display affection towards me. I saw other fathers hugging their kids, but you never hugged me. I forgive you for that this morning. Dad, I forgive you this morning. You never told me that you loved me. I needed to hear those words. You never shared those words with me. I forgive you. Holy Spirit's just ministering to different ones right now. Our need for fathers in our lives is just so integral. And when they haven't been there, it's so difficult for us to relate to our Papa in heaven. But I want to tell you, He's running towards you this morning. He's got a closet prepared with a beautiful, clean, seamless white robe. He wants to put sandals on your feet, which were a sign of sonship because slaves only wore bare feet, but sons wore sandals. And he wants to put the family insignia ring on your hand today that demonstrates you carry the authority of your father. Can we pray one more thing this morning? Many of you, like me, completely disconnected from my earthly father. And I needed to repent from that because there was no way we were going to get reconciliation unless I sought forgiveness for not being a good son or a daughter, even though my father had transgressed against me. So Lord, we repent. And we ask for your forgiveness for closing our hearts off to our earthly fathers. And we ask this morning, Lord, that you would open our heart to Abba, Daddy, Papa God this morning. We reject the claims of an orphan spirit over our life. We break the curse of that and we remove it from our lives, from our thinking, our mentality, our mindsets, off our spirit. We reject that orphan spirit this morning. We command it even now to loose its hold off our lives and to release us and let us go. In the name of Jesus. We break that orphan spirit hold. Lord, we're no longer going to be needy. We're no longer going to be immobile. 
We're no longer not going to be able to feel your heart towards your children. But this morning, Lord, we receive the Father's love. The world has not known you, Father, but Jesus said, I have known you. And the love that you've given to me, I will give to them. So this morning, Lord, right now in this moment, I want you, church, just to receive the Father's love anew in your life. By God's grace and His love, may He pour it into our hearts this morning. Grace upon grace. Let forgiveness flow from your heart today. And I release to you the true Father heart of God this morning. May the image you hold be changed forever this morning. You have an incredible dad in heaven. He's amazing. He's always looking out for you. He comes running towards you at the slightest hint of trouble. He's not distant. He's not far off. But He's near to those who call upon His name. May you receive great droplets of His love into your spirit and into your heart this morning. Receive that now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Lord, where there's reconciliation that needs to take place in the natural, I'm praying for the courage for my brothers and sisters, for that divine opportunity and moment where you make all things new and relationships can be restored in the natural. You're a supernatural God. So Papa, thank you for our time together.